This is Senator Malcolm Roberts. Welcome to Our Nation Today. Small business and sole traders have done it the toughest during the COVID restrictions. Big business is better equipped to pivot during the lockdowns and restrictions, while small businesses in shopping strips and in shopping centres continue to suffer the most. The state and federal governments announced a jointly funded support package of $600 million for the early August lockdown. 25,000 Queensland businesses have applied for the funding lifeline, yet only 6,353 businesses have actually received money. That lockdown was a month ago, yet only a quarter of businesses have received financial support. Government can hand out money, yet what business really needs is the confidence to open doors to customers without the worry of when doors will again be closed. Small business needs assurance that liquidators are not on their doorstep ready to wind them up. Small business needs time to recover properly. And it's never as simple as just opening the doors. Government COVID restrictions have been global and global supply chains have been affected. Small Australian businesses are being faced with shortages of product, including electronics, balloons, books, bikes, hair products, toys, game consoles and textiles. With Christmas on the horizon and the best chance of significant spending to lift the retail sector, we're now faced with a significant global supply chain crunch. Before COVID government restrictions, much of the air freight arrived with passenger flights, which are no longer an option for retailers who are now waiting months for stock to arrive on boat because air freight is either too expensive or non-existent. Some larger retailers are ordering excess stock, then warehousing it. Yet this is not an option for small business who cannot afford that workaround. Joining me today to talk about how much small business is hurting and what needs to be done is Anne Nalder, head of the Small Business Association of Australia. She's in touch with small businesses daily. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much. Can you please tell me, Anne, about the Small Business Association? Who does the organisation yeah. represent? The organisation is something that I founded um, a little over 11 years ago. And I'm very proud of what we have achieved. I've got very good people that are involved with me. When I first started out, and I say the word I, I was like a one-person band. And uh, today we have uh, committees and advisory boards and a lot of very, very good business people, as I said, who are involved with us. We represent small businesses throughout Australia. Now, small businesses are made up of three groups. That's micro, small and medium enterprises. And they, of course, require a different set of requirements depending on the age and the size of their business. So when we talk of small business, we're talking about 2.4 million approximately of actively trading small businesses. Now, these figures, that figure is just prior to the coronavirus. Today, we don't know what that figure is because it's very messy out there at the moment with many businesses just simply trying to survive. So small business plays a very, very major role in the economy of Australia. And if I can add that between 98 and 99.7, that's nearly 100% of businesses in many modern contemporary countries are small businesses. So there's a lot of small businesses, not only in Australia, but globally. Well, thank you, Anne. And it's a significant thing that uh, I think small business employs about uh, seven or eight million people in this country, and it is the number one employer of Australians. And the other thing I just want to mention, 
11 years, that, that's surprising. I didn't know it was just that short because already now I've, I've watched you um, in, in action at a conference. You're fielding calls from ministers, from government ministers. You're making calls on behalf of members to government ministers, and they always take your call and deal with you straight away. So that's a remarkable sign of respect for you, man. Thank you. Yes, it's, there's a lot of hard work. It doesn't come easy. We have been very, very proactive, and I say we because it is a team these days. Um, and um, as I said, I'm very proud of my team and the support and the loyalty and the dedication that they provide because we know that small business is the key to success in this country. Going into small business is probably the only uh, pathway that people can possibly make um, that they can make a good living, they can provide something, they can do something. And so small business is very key to, as you said, employment, opportunities and for personal wealth. And we need to strive for that in this country. So small business is a really, really important component. Yeah, if I can just build on that again. You know, you had your conference earlier this year and I was amazed and very, very impressed at the way your team worked. Very, very fluid, no formality, just got on with the job. Anything we, we wanted as speakers or as, as participants in the conference, no problem at all. Yeah. Got a very courteous, prompt response. Um, and, and also the fact that, that you're doing so much work with people on, on, the, on the shop floor, so to speak, because small business is the hub of innovations, and especially in terms of customer service, customer focus. That's where many innovations start in small business. And without, that, without small business, we'd be in a mess. Uh, uh, correct, exactly so. And uh, we don't recognise that. Um, Australia is very, very fortunate that we are made up of a lot of people from right around the world, and they are talented people. But I don't think we harness that talent very well in this country, and they are prepared to give it a go. So we need to look after, because if we have a a healthy, wealthy small business sector, that has got to be good for the economy. It provides opportunity and jobs. Many people's jobs, their first jobs are usually with small business. And so we need to look at small business. Uh, we need to uh, look at them in a different way. I, I believe, and I've said this many times, that we hear politicians from different parties, and you've heard this yourself, I think, Senator, that they talk about how uh, we love you, small business, how important you are. But that's where it stops in a lot of cases. because But small business needs to be taken seriously. It needs to be, and I do believe that sometimes it's seen as irrelevant and unimportant. And that's a huge mistake that is made in this country. So politicians need to really understand the role of small business. You do away with small business and what have you got? You don't have an economy. Big business cannot take up the slack, uh, but small business can. So we've got well, to look at... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so we've got to really do something in that particular area. Well, small business, largest employer of people in the country, source of many innovations, not just in, yep. in products, but also in services and finding yeah. niches and exploiting yeah. those niches yeah. and providing things that customers really want. And also small business... Um, it keeps the big big companies honest because without without the competition from small businesses, prices for services, prices for goods would be so much higher. So it's, at times, small businesses are the only ones keeping the big boys honest. 
Yes, and as I said to you, I think there has to be a, a lot more recognition as to the role that a small business can play, not only from a business sense, but what they can do in the uh, community. You go into regional areas of Australia, and they are the they they uh, support the local sports uh, people, the schools, uh, local clubs, and so forth, and they play a major role in any community. If you have, for example, one small business owner go belly up it's not just one person that that suffers it's a whole usually their families and a whole community so it's very very important that we try and keep these businesses afloat that we look after small businesses that we have good policies our policies currently uh, one cap fits all and that is a huge mistake uh, it's like asking a preschooler to compete with a university graduate um, which is unfair, as you would as you would know, and the same is when you're looking at a very very junior small, very very small business owner who has to compete with the bigger end of town. I mean that's really really impossible. Uh, like in our taxation system, for example, you would know that the small business owner has to abide by the same rules as a BHP, but they don't have those resources. And woe behold, if they get things wrong. Uh, According to the law, if you end up in court, you are supposed to be all knowledge as far as what the law says in that particular area. Well, you know that that's impossible. So we have to um, create um, special uh, laws for small businesses, maybe up to a certain size and age. Maybe, we, we believe that somewhere maybe up to uh, five and under employees would be a good start. And because we also need to get those businesses that are under, say, five years of age, we need to get them over that threshold because that is the most dangerous and most difficult years because they're starting out, costs are high. Australia is a very expensive country to live in. It's a very expensive country to do business in. So, and we're also, um, we're awash with red tape, which is a $200 billion industry. So you've got all these things that are stacked up against somebody wishing to start out as a small business. So we need to give them a bit of a, uh, a hand up probably, not handouts or anything, but we need to give them uh, some opportunity so they can get over that five-year threshold and to become viable good businesses because once they do that, they contribute to the economy through taxation, through um, providing jobs, jobs in the local communities and hopefully they might even consider doing exporting because we need to improve in that particular area as well. So small business, great opportunities, but we're, they're, they're missing out because our system is all wrong. I, I agree with you, and we'll come back to those points, yeah. Anne, but I think there's, yeah. there's a lot of merit in discussing those yeah. things. But let's continue with the yeah. – I hadn't planned on this, but uh, I had other <laughs> questions to do with the, with the lockdowns. But, but let's continue. This is a wonderful yeah. discussion. Small business, you've pointed out sometimes, it's the only business in some of the regional towns, out west and up north. Yeah. But, so, so it's servicing the regions, but it's also sponsoring local social clubs, sporting clubs, and without it, the community would be dead out there. So Correct. small business is essential for our regions and for our communities. Correct. Most definitely. And then also uh, small business is a way of people expressing themselves. It's, a, it's another outlet for expression, just like art, just like sport, just like um, so many endeavours. But small business is a way someone can actually express themselves, whether it's a baker who puts a, a little flourish to his, his or her product. product. Uh, 
um, there's, there's just such a way, and that's, I guess that's where the competition starts and, and the innovation comes from small business. You've got so many people focused on improving their product uh, and not just being part of a behemoth bureaucracy. No, look, I think uh, there's great opportunities there because it's uh, the um, the only area that you can actually be creative. You can be your own boss. You can do things. You can uh, you can be uh, you can also create creativity within your staff if you employ staff. So there's a whole lot of things you can do there. And when you travel around some places, even regional areas, and you see some fabulous little shops out there, beautifully decorated, serving wonderful products, and they're innovative, it really makes you proud of what can be achieved. So if you, so if you allow people to flourish, it's amazing what you can do. Oh, I love those words, if you allow people to flourish, because yeah. I'm very, very pro-human, and, and, yes. and humans get a bad rap in our society these days. Yeah. And, and so, but humans are wonderful, caring, creative, innovative, yeah. expressive, um, and that, it, that is unleashed in a small business because the, the owner wants to give, most owners want to give the employees the opportunity to flourish and, and to contribute to the business. And that's when people come alive, when, when, a, when a manager yeah. allows them to actually do what is in their heart. Oh, yeah, most definitely. As I said, there's great uh, – it's um, allowing staff to be diversive, to, uh, to do a lot of things. I think that's a great example of uh, not just me, I'm the boss and you're the staff, but I think if you allow and take the staff in with you, I think you can achieve wonderful things. Yes, and we've just talked about the advantages of small business and being in small business, but that, with that comes responsibilities. And the responsibilities are very high, particularly because the owner of the business is carrying all the risk. That's it. She or he is carrying all the risk. And as you just pointed out, uh, small business has got the, the playing field tipped against them. They're basically running uphill. The law is so complicated these days. There is so much uh, bureaucracy. The taxation system is so complex. The industrial relations. I mean, look at the shock that, that, that I created at small business. Without, my, without opening my mouth, I just dumped the, the industrial relations laws on. Yeah. Six inches thick, 150 centimetres, 150 yeah. millimetres thick. Yeah. People were just stunned. How can you possibly have good relationships like that? And the bureaucracy, that, that, uh, the government burden that people have to put up with. In a large company, they just dedicate someone to doing that and they've got economies of scale. Small business, the owner has to put on his lawyer's hat, his industrial relations hat, his consultant's hat, his um, tax advisor's hat. Everything. And, and it's just so difficult uh, because government burden is just enormous these days. It, it is difficult. Um, and as I said to you, uh, we are smothering, uh, choking in red tape. Uh, we can't expect to know everything. I mean, uh, even large corporations don't know everything. That's why their CEOs will seek legal advice from within their own legal teams if, if they employ them. But as you said rightfully, a small business owner is supposed to be all things and know everything. That might have been okay years ago when you had two or three laws. But today, as we all know, it's, uh, it's, uh, we've got a maze of laws and they're complicated. And the problem is that if you get it wrong as a small business owner, woe behold you because the penalties are really very severe and they're nasty. Uh, I don't think the people who create 
these uh, compliance regulations, that red tape, etc. I don't think they really understand what's going on. They don't understand what it is like. What does it take to run a small business? Uh, and they, and I'm, I am sure that if they spent a week in the life of a small business they would probably get a better understanding of what is required. But of course, on the other hand, when you're making up these laws, if you've never been in small business, it's very hard to understand what all the fuss is about. So this is where the, that's where the problem is. You've got people creating uh, laws who don't understand what it is like to operate a small business. That's one of the reasons that we drafted a document called the Small Business Charter, of Australia. It's not a policy document. It is actually a framework for policy makers as to what is required. Uh, and we've got the 10 pillars in that document, such as finance, taxation, you know, all the things that, that um, affect a small business owner. But the way our policy is done is there is a clear lack of understanding uh, as to what is required for good policy in this country. If you have good policy, you will see businesses flourishing like, this is small business, flourishing like anything. So we really have to come up with great policies and we've got to, and we do really need serious reform. It's very, very long overdue because without that, our small business owners cannot be competitive on the international scene. And these days, we are a global village. Whether we like it or not, we are a global village. So we need to make sure that our small businesses can compete. Currently, they are hamstrung. And I just want to congratulate you on the clarity and the breadth of the, of the topics you just covered. Wonderful stuff. And, and the, the um, policies platform... Uh, is basically an environment for business, not just small business and large, but also large business. It's a, it, you know, the government is there not to create business, not to not to throttle business, but to create an environment so the businesses can thrive on their own. And governments seem to miss that. And you hit the nail on the head. So many politicians don't know the realities of being in business today. I've worked in large companies. I've worked as an employee. I've worked in small business, my own small business, and it is it is so. Um, there are so many challenges and, and you know, we, we recently had to deal with the industrial relations uh, changes. We had to come up with simplifications for small business and give small business exemptions. And that was, mm -hmm. that was so obvious, but it was up to us to think about it. No one else anticipated mm -hmm. it. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to some of those things and especially your comment about uh, reform. But right now, um, not only are businesses... Uh, have businesses got the laws stacked against them in terms of complexity and the bureaucracy, but also it's even worse now because with these lockdowns and government restrictions, the rules are being changed continually, and they're hammering small business, and 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 the law and the rules don't seem to have any logic at times, and they one one from one week to the next they contradict each other, they reverse some of the restrictions. Small businesses are finding this a nightmare, surely. I think you'll find that's the case um, and it's really very serious because what may occur um, in the future, not too distant future, is that you may see uh, small business owners being taken through the court system for various things. Now, no small business owner can afford to be uh, caught up in the legal system. It is expensive uh, it'll, it can actually ruin them. It can actually break them. Uh, 
And that is because there's no, we really do need a, a very, very serious thing that is missing today, and it is a serious issue, is a lack of leadership. Now, a lack of leadership, and I'm not having a shot at anybody, but a lack of leadership, what it does create, uh, it create it, it's uh, divisive, it, uh, there's no clarity, as you say, uh, the left hand and the right hand doesn't know what's happening. So in the business world, we have to have clarity and we have to have uh, a set of rules as to this is what applies during this particular period because it's anything goes at the moment. One of the greatest concerns for us at the moment is, the, and we are getting an actual ruling on this, is the uh, situation of where compulsory uh, vaccinations by employers. Now, we all have our viewpoint on the vaccines and things like that. So this is not about that. But it's where does the small business owner stand? Because there is, uh, they're not being given any indemnity. Uh, um, there's mixed messages. Large businesses have probably got the resources to fight any such, such you know, situations. But a small business owner uh, can't afford to go to court. So that particular business is a test case. That is a ludicrous thing to even suggest. And some of our politicians have done that. They said, oh, look, it could be a test case. Well, that to me is irresponsible. It is the death knell because, as I said, when a business owner goes belly up, it's not just the business owner that suffers. It is the families. It may be close relatives. It could be a community. It could also be other creditors of another business that could go belly up because of that. So so we're talking about a lot of people. It's like a ripple effect being affected. Now, to me, the greatest, this is a really, really dreadful situation of where we cannot get clarity on the situation of employers insisting on their staff being vaccinated. I can understand some of the arguments, but we're, we're coming to a legal thing. And just because somebody says it's a ma- it's mandated or it's law doesn't necessarily mean it, it can be won because you get to court and these things are challenged. So to me, what needs to be done as a matter of urgency is for the government, and this is at the federal level, they must come up with a clarity as to where does the small business owner stand when he or she um, orders their staff to be vaccinated because you've got to look at the situation I'll give you a scenario you might have a person who's quite happy to be vaccinated you might get another person who doesn't really want to then you have a third person who gets vaccinated and what if something happens to them health-wise does that mean that the small business owner is liable for that. And this is where these things have got to be sorted out. And that is not happening at the moment. And you can't leave it. It's all very well to say, oh, look, let businesses make their own decisions. That's wrong. Because it's businesses do not make the Fair Work Australia laws, for example. The government must step in and the government must make a clear direction as to what is acceptable and what is not. So that is a really huge worry for us at the moment. And we ourselves are getting clarification through our legal team and industrial relations uh, lawyers that we have. 
and we're getting a clarification on that of which we are going to then publish as to where we believe the situation is. And that's one that needs to be taken. So my my um, my message to small business owners is to be very, very careful about jumping in and mandating or, or, or insisting that all your employers employees are vaccinated because they could be stepping and, into a mindstone. And that was a wonderful summary. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just a summary, mm-hmm. a clear delineation of what's, mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely correct. There is a complete lack of leadership in Australian mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. Parliament, uh, parliamentary accountability has been smashed for several decades now. Governments are acting capriciously. Parliaments mm-hmm. don't hold them accountable. It's difficult for Pauline and I to be the only ones mm-hmm. chasing people. But the divisiveness and the, mm-hmm. and the, the need for clarity is – you've just said it so well – there seems to be an anything-goes mentality. They were your words as well. And I put it to you, I'm not looking for comment on this, but I just put it to you that the reason for that across so many fields, and I can see this now having been in the Senate for three years, is the policy in this country is not driven by data. It is driven by opinions, by looking after vested interests, by looking after donors. It's looking after uh, opinions. Um, it's looking after newspaper headlines, getting elected again. It's not they – don't, they don't make the hard decisions. They don't go to the data. There are so many areas where they're contradicting the data, and that, that ends up being paid for by small business because there's no rationale, there's no logic behind what they're required to do. There is no way at all that anyone can say to a, a small business, you are now going to enforce medical uh, policy especially when that policy was just pulled out of the air. I mean, it's just ludicrous. So these are the things, so, so good on you. I'll give you some names to contact with regard to industrial relations and this particular topic. We've just been involved, but I'll, I'll do that off air. Thank so you. I, so when, when, you, when you get that, now let's come back to the, the topic of the day, uh, which is that the capricious lockdowns, what's the impact on small business? So what's the feeling among small business out there? Just how much are small businesses hurting from these lockdowns? That it's a very mixed bag out there, but generally people are feeling very frustrated. They're almost ready to break out of jail, as we say, that type of attitude. Uh, there's a lot of rumbling underneath. Um, the fact, too, that people are planning big demonstrations says it all, because Australians generally are very complacent. Uh, I have to say that. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. And I, I, want to, I want to congratulate you there because <laughs> Australians and Americans have a reputation for being independent. Um, what's the word? Challenging authority and all that. Yeah. But, and, that and I've lived and worked in America and I've travelled yeah. throughout all 50 states and I can see that over there. But Australians yeah. will challenge authority but then when authority stands up, they meekly run away and run yeah. to authority and do whatever authority tells them to do. Yeah. It just, yeah. It's just so strange. Yeah. I, look, I think, unless I'm wrong, but I can see that there is going to be a challenge. Uh, generally, small businesses are hanging in there because they're a very resilient lot, but you can only hang in there for so long because your finances are not they're not unlimited. Uh, you, you've got to remember that many of them still have fixed costs like rents, leases, uh, insurances, superannuation, you know, for their staff, and things like that. 
um, in, uh, in, uh, I think I said insurances, but all of these fixed costs. So somebody has to find that money somewhere. Now, continuously locking down, starting up, locking down, it has its toll eventually. So generally speaking, there's a lot of mental anguish. The mental anguish is because of also the finances. I mean, let's face it, if you're worrying when you're whether you're going to lose your home or not because your bills are stacking up and you can't pay your mortgage, whatever, uh, you're going to start getting mental issues. So small businesses uh, are faring uh, not too bad in some areas, but generally speaking, they're not in a good way. And they're all affected differently depending on where you live and what and where you're going. For example, as you know, the Queensland border that they had the lockdown between Queensland and New South Wales, that impacted very severely on uh, the Gold Coast, uh, the Southern Strip. And uh, those business owners have, uh, it'll be um, amazing to see them survive because the, the Gold Coast relies on tourism, for example, very heavily. And a lot of jobs are being lost in that area, even pre these lockdowns. So it's become even worse now. Uh, there's school holidays starting very shortly. Uh, that will impact as well because, uh, and even in other states, um, operators were expecting to get they had good bookings and those bookings are now closed because other places are in lockdown or you can't travel there, whatever. So the impact is not good. And two things to consider, and the authorities need to look at this. Last year when we went into the pandemic, uh, we had job keeping things like that. And that wasn't perfect, but at least there was something going on, you know. Uh, people were able to access their super, not necessarily a good thing, but it, it happened and it helped a lot. And people had savings. Many many people had some savings in their account. Now, that has been exhausted. And so we come into 2021 where I think most people thought things were going to be a lot better. And 2021 has been an awful year for most people because once JobKeeper ceased at the end of March and all the other benefits that went with it, uh, people were, were left with nothing. And so they've exhausted their savings and the lockdowns have been far worse than, say, last year. So generally speaking, small business is trying to survive, but for how long, we don't know. Uh, the figures that are coming out from uh, ASIC and other uh, places shows uh, the picture is not trending in a good direction. There, there are some alarming figures. So again, we have to wait and see. It's well, very hard was, to tell. Yeah, yeah, that was well done too. You, you've yeah. mentioned yeah. the men mental yeah. health aspects, yeah. the stress yeah. that comes yeah. from the financial yeah. aspects, yeah. and then the disputes. Uh, families fall apart because the finances are under stress. The kids yeah. are at home while you're trying to run a small business. Yeah. Uh, you, and now, in addition to being the lawyer, the taxation consultant, the industrial relations expert, the fighting the bureaucracy, you've also got to be a homeschooler, and you've also got to be a mental health consultant. Um, exactly. And, and all of these things are just enormous. So I, I can understand the frustration and the anguish. Um, what about, you, you, you mentioned the families of small business. You mentioned uh, some of the, the customers, uh, some of the suppliers. What about the small business employees during restrictions? Because business falls, they don't need as many staff, but there is such a strong bond between a small business owner and his or her employees. And, and, and they, 
they want to, they they don't want to let someone go. But and and who knows what'll happen next week? Will it be back at work? Will it not be back at work? I mean, it's such a frightening pressure to put on people. It's true, and when you're uh, when you're a small business owner, you normally the staff becomes almost like part of the family because there's so few people, so you sort of rely upon each other. But what where the problem is today? With JobKeeper, it actually kept the employees and the employer connected, whereas now it's a different situation. And one of the big areas that we will face a very serious problem with once we get back to some normality, whenever that may be, is the loss of staff and a loss of really good staff as well. So that is a burden on employers and employees at the same time. Now, to run a business, uh, if you've got great staff, I mean, that that is one of the greatest things you can have in a business. It, it's, it's so important. Uh, they can make, they can even make or break your business in many ways, to tell you the truth. If you've got great staff, you know. So I think the way the situation is at the moment, unless the employer can keep the employees intact within their business, you probably will find that they're going to lose some of that staff and then there will be that recruitment to try and get good staff. Now, that's not an easy situation because a lot of people have disengaged, from, and this is employees, have disengaged themselves from the marketplace. Um, the, uh, the restrictions on travel have also impacted in that area. So, you're going to have a problem where you, you, you could be losing valuable, experienced staff. And don't forget, when you take on staff, you may have to re- train them in your own methods and things like that. So again, so for the business owner, you're sort of starting from scratch. Um, for the employee, that they're in a situation where they don't know where their next dollar is going to come from. And they, they too have responsibilities like their mortgages. Uh, they've got to feed the families. Um, whether they're single or they've got, they've got children doesn't really matter, but they've still got to feed themselves. They've got to find, they've got to, uh, um, pay for the roof over their head. So they need their dollars as well. So it's a pretty vicious cycle for both the employer and the employee. The employer, the employee at least is getting something through the um, through the schemes uh, that replace JobKeeper, but the employer is not getting anything. So they, they might get pocketfuls of little bits and pieces here and there in grants from the government as part of a package, and the, the figures sound fantastic, but in reality, that's not getting to a lot of people. And a lot of people can't access that money either. So they're sort of living on whatever money they've got. So it's a, so for employers, it's a pretty nasty situation besides that's, that's, employees. That's yeah. where I was going to go with my yeah, next yeah. question. You've yeah. already covered it. But let's, let's come back to a couple of things you raised yeah. here. This is a wonderful discussion. Um, you, you're obviously in touch. You've got your finger on the pulse. Um, we all know that the staff are the, what make or break any business, large or small. It doesn't matter. The, the critical interface with, with people and, and how they get on with each other. And we all know that culture is such a – culture is the greatest determinant of productivity. There is no doubt about that. That's well known. The academics even know, know that now. And, and so culture is largely, based, is largely comprising the values of an entity, the, um, 
the behaviors, the norms, the, the attitudes people have, the feelings people have towards the business. And that culture is so, so important. It is the most important factor along with leadership, which, which helps determine culture. So what we've seen is, is that is very strong in small business because people, can, people are very much in touch with their responsibilities and what will happen if they don't, if they don't look after customers. Um, but sadly, Anne, and it goes back to something you talked about a little while ago about the lack of leadership, the culture in parliament is just disgraceful. Have you got, and you're in touch with it, so I won't ask you to make a political comment at all. I don't want to make this political, but um, Parliament doesn't hold governments accountable. And governments tend to do whatever they damn well please to look good, etc., rather than do good. So it's all about looking good, not doing good. And my question to you really is Australia seems to be drifting politically in terms of the parliamentary lack of parliamentary accountability. Is that going to eventually find its way throughout society and, and particularly into business? I hope not because it's not a good thing. It's not good for individuals. It's not good for the uh, business community, large or small. It's not good for anybody and it's not good for the politicians because in a democracy, and this is what we've got to come back to, a democracy, if we want our democracy to survive, we have to show... There has to be transparency, there has to be leadership, and there has to be less spin. I'll, I'll, I'll do it politely, less spin. How about no spin? No spin. Well, we'll start with less spin at the moment, but, <laughs> but seriously, no spin. In other words, lies, full stop. Yes. And I, and I am astounded myself. I, look, I've been around a hell of a long time. And I've seen prime ministers come and go, and I've seen premiers come and go, the whole lot. And I don't think I've ever been so disgusted and disappointed in my life as what I'm seeing taking place today, whether at a state or a national level. We are ruled uh, not as um, one country. I was going to say one nation, <laughs> but we but we are ruled as eight separate countries. A lot of the stuff, even by health authorities, is got has got nothing to do with health. It's all about politics, and it's harming the population. We are not being told the truth in many cases, and we have the lack of leadership at the top. And I don't mind saying this because, in my opinion, we started off the National Cabinet, I think, in a very positive way. And I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. I thought it started off, and I think everybody said, hooray, this is fantastic, this is a new way, it's a new age, a new way. And it worked for a while. It seemed to be very good. And somewhere along the line, our Prime Minister decided to step aside... And guess what happened? The premiers and the chief ministers, they hijacked the agenda. That's what happened. And that's when you had everybody then doing your own thing. Now, when you're on a ship, there can only be one captain, as far as I'm concerned. You don't have eight, nine or ten uh, captains. There's only one. And we ended up with eight captains for the various states and territories. That's where I think the mistake has been. Now, what that will do, people will put up with things for a certain while. Like, like even in Queensland, we, we came across a lot of 
double standards, which is absolutely amazing. Blatantly in front of us, it's ha- these things were happening. And people started waking up after a while because you don't see it initially, but when it's happening on a regular basis. And what that does in a democracy, you start losing trust in your politicians and your political system. That's a danger. Well because, said. Because, because if I just may be able to finish, if we are to throw um, – if we are to criticise other countries for their types of governments and systems, well, we have to make sure that our own hands are clean before we do that. So it's no use saying, look at the others, and we pat ourselves on the back when, we're, in fact, we're doing very similar things. So to me, we really do need desperate leadership. And that leadership, as far as I'm concerned, and I don't care what the Constitution says in this area, because you can only have one captain and then they have to work within that framework. These are the states I'm referring to. That's what needs to be done. Well, we we are a federation of sovereign independent Mm. states, so I'm all in favour of a competitive federalism. But this has yeah. just been ridiculous. And what's yeah. what's gone on? What's going on here now mm-hmm. is none. And I'll say this with with quite a lot of information at my fingertips and in my heart. I know that no one in the, among the premiers or the prime minister is making decisions based on solid data. They are not doing it. They're mm-hmm. contradicting the data. That's the real problem. They're not objective. They're being capricious mm-hmm. and they're politicking. Competitive federalism. Um, Joe, Sir Joe Bielke-Peterson gave mm. us a wonderful demonstration of that mm. when he removed uh, death duties and, and estate taxes. Yeah. And what happened then? People from other states moved to Queensland to die. Now, I'm, I'm being funny. but no, that's you're what, right. That's yep. what drove the Gold Coast, along with Sir Bruce Small. But yep. the Gold Coast took off. And what that caused then was other states to say, we're losing our, our, our retirees. So they all removed death duties, which made government more efficient and more effective, thanks to one man in one state. That's what we've right. got now is a welfare system whereby we're taking GST from the wealthiest, uh, from the biggest generator of GST, WA, mm. and Western Australia gets back about 37 cents for every dollar it puts into GST. New South Wales and Victoria get back less than a dollar for every dollar they put into GST. But the freeloaders are Tasmania by a long way and South Australia, and I'm ashamed to say this, but Queensland gets a dollar eleven back for every dollar we put into it. We're, we're so blessed with resources and when with opportunity in this state, but we're bludging off the other states. I mean, mm-hmm. this has now become competitive welfareism. South Australia mm-hmm. trashed its economy, drove businesses out because of their ridiculous, um, ridiculous energy policies, but they knew they'd just get a handover of money from WA. I mean, it's just we're destroying our country. So I, the other thing about competitive federalism is it's mm-hmm. a marketplace in government. Mm-hmm. And so when Sir Joe abolished death duties, he, got, he was on a winner, and everyone and a lot of people moved to Queensland. Exactly. And so, when Sir so Joe tidied up taxation in Queensland and, and reduced taxes, when he balanced the budget, when he um, developed central Queensland, when he made it a, a haven for small business, Queensland flourished. And, and then the city lived off the regions, basically, because everything was so much more efficient under one uh, wonderful uh, leader. That's when we had real leadership. And, and that, that's what we need to get back to. Individual states... Working in, res- in response to their own state needs, 
but based on data, solid leadership, and the few responsibilities that the federal government have, they should work well with them. And leadership, Anne, is not about coercing people, which is what we've seen, threats, coercion. Leadership is about painting a picture and creating the environment so people want to follow. Leaders don't push, they draw. And and, and that's what we've missed. So well said. Um, Small business, you've already covered this topic, but I want want to talk about um, uh, a truckie that I met, a wonderful truckie. He organized a blockade in the Gold Coast last week. Um, He was just after very simple things. Uh, He could see through all of the the rubbish that we're being told by, by political leaders. But he pointed out to me that it costs him about $7,000 a month to keep his truck on the road, mm-hmm. paying the bank for the loan, paying the insurance, paying the registration, paying for the tyres, paying for the fuel. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are thousands of dollars every time he fills up. So he was getting an offer of hundreds of dollars per fortnight during lockdowns. He, he just laughed at it. It's just ridiculous. So it's enormous pressure on small businesses. He's a small businessman. Yep. And, and he, had, he used to employ people. But he also told me that where he comes from in New South Wales, you know, they have simple pleasures in life. They have a sawmill that they, that they, that they truck timber in and out of. They have uh, a pub that they go and have a drink in. They have a coffee shop that the family goes and has a, has a get-together with other families on a Sunday. And he will walk down the street to, to support the other coffee shop just to keep them alive. Mm. You know, that kind of community is being smashed by these lockdowns. What do you say? I totally agree with you. And I tell you where there's something that I I don't know whether this has been considered. See, a short lockdown doesn't have much of an impact possibly. But if you keep people locked down in a very, very long period of time, you will find that when the lockdowns are lifted, there will be many people who will not go – escaping out of that lockdown they become they we're basically socially re-engineering our people into their way of thinking and living and doing things where we become they become they become so used to certain things and that's not as silly as it sounds because as I said if you do if you keep a person in solitary confinement long enough That'll have an effect on that person. For some people, it may not, but for many, it will. And this is where the danger is that once these these uh, lockdowns are lifted, what is going to be the irreparable or very long-term damages done to individuals, whether they're workers or uh, a small business owner, what is the damage going to be? And who's going to compensate them for that? Who's going, to, who's going to help them out? You've got to remember that it's not businesses that shut themselves down. It's governments that shut down businesses. So governments have also a moral, I believe, and a care of duty or a duty of care towards its citizens as to what it does and how it does. And even some countries overseas now realise that you can't keep people locked up in like almost like they're in jail forever. It doesn't work. And, uh, I mean, I like the idea of what the UK has done where they've given their um, 
they seem like they're, they've got a lot of freedoms there now and where they've, they've got a large uh, percentage of the population, say, vaccinated. But they, they, there's not going to be that segregation about whether you're vaccinated or not. They're going to let people now get on. And hopefully the... Um, uh, the situation won't be too bad as far as any outbreaks go. Um, so I think the danger here is is what uh, have the lockdowns done to that has really going to create a bad social situation for people in years to come. That that's yes. that's something. Yeah, that's and, something and that I, we need to think of. <clears throat> and 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 we know that humans are, are yeah. basically need to belong to a group. A community. We also know that humans thrive on interaction. We also know that the critical years for the formation of both character and intellect in humans yeah. is birth to six. That might surprise yes. a lot of people, but sciences yeah. have, have proven that as well. Um, now, what's going on is we've got, we've got kids growing up with masks. We've got kids, so they can't see facial expressions. They can't tell what's really going on behind, behind the other person's mask. Uh, these are all very important clues when we're growing up. And we're seeing kids missing out on schools. And we're also seeing things like uh, the, the state government, I think, offered a $100 voucher for people who would travel to North Queensland. Immediately, I was listening to Talkback Radio, people saying, who the hell wants to travel to North Queensland when you could be capriciously locked up in a, in a lockdown and cost you $3,000 for staying in a hotel? Correct. Come on, for two weeks. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I want to just – because it's so important to small business, I want to get a little um, mention from the United Nations World Health Organization. Now, I think they're corrupt, dishonest, incompetent body. That, that, I've got no doubt about that. They caused the, the uh, virus problems to be far, far worse. They've told lies about it. But this is one thing they did admit. They said lockdowns are for use – only initially to get control of the virus. That tells me that every time one of our states locks down, they are admitting they have not control of the virus. After 18 months, that is inexcusable. That is just a complete failure of government and a complete failure of parliamentary accountability. I totally agree because... In 18 months, we should be far further afield and uh, abreast of the whole thing. Um, I don't uh, take the excuse that this is something brand new. We didn't know too much about mm. it. Um, I don't see that because even when they did ma uh, find out their mistakes, they've still we've still continued on the same path. Uh, I think we've just been generally, generally very inefficient, uh, very slow to react in some cases, and it's a population that is bearing the brunt um, because nobody, um, uh, they, they reckon there's about 20% of the population that, uh, as far as workers go, that have not had any major effects to their salaries or their conditions and so forth, but 80% of the population, of the working population has. So we've got to look at that and how that will impact. And the worst part is that what worries me also is that once we're out of this, that the government puts on the brakes to try and recoup some of that money, which will make things harder still. We do have to have a 
plan out of this. There is no plan at the moment. Uh, we have to have a recovery plan and we have to have a sensible plan. We've got to put so many years aside to give people a chance to get back on their feet. That's what needs to be done. But so far, there is nothing there to create hope. There's nothing there to create confidence in our political system, unfortunately. And that is really very sad. Would you like to run for the Senate? We could do with people like you in the the Parliament. And that that is just so well said because that's exactly what's needed. It's something we've been saying for a while now. it It is obvious that there is no plan the way this country is being managed. No plan whatsoever, just stumbling from one crisis to another. So let's, um, let's look at the, something the Treasurer said. The Treasurer has highlighted that we could be in for two quarters of negative growth. That must be demoralising for businesses that have managed to grimly hang on so far. What advice are you giving and what advice can you give to small businesses to cope? Okay, there's, there's not a great deal other than, first of all, I think... Uh, every business owner must look after their health because if their health goes down the chute, if they suffer from mental um, anxiety, it's not going to do them nor their families if they have families and their staff any good. So number one, the small business owner must stay focused and must be try and be as healthy as possible. The second thing is if their business is running into serious financial troubles and they can't see a way out our advice would be not to jump in straight away with bankruptcy or things like that but to really and they can contact us they need they they need to have there are other ways that they can cushion that effect if they need to exit their business if they if they want to stay in their business long term and they can afford to borrow because, remember, you've got to pay it back. But if they can afford to borrow, then that is a, a good alternative uh, if that's what they want to do. But as I said, if they want to exit the business, don't leave it to the last minute when they're kicked, dragging and screaming because the the, um, the results won't be that good. So they need to plan. They need to try and be positive, even though sometimes it's very exasperating too. So the two areas would be Look after your health, because without your health, you've got nothing. Then look at where their business is today. And if they want to survive, they may need to borrow. Uh, If they want to uh, close shop, then they need to get really good, sound advice. And the first choice, a lot of people will say, is go bankrupt, that there are better alternatives than that, because bankruptcy should be the last, absolutely the last you know, uh, thing that they choose. So they are the most important things, I would say, at this stage. So they're both health-related. Look after your personal health and look after your financial health. Yes, exactly. And closely. Um, Perhaps, Anne, we've we've had a wonderful discussion. I was going to ask you to comment about taxation – because, but but I won't now. We've been going nearly an hour, and I think we'll have to start winding up. But there is a there's another sim, there's another very important statistic around taxation that was revealed to me by the deputy commissioner for taxation, looking after international matters and large companies in this country, um, Jim Kalali, in 1996 in several papers, and then again in the year 2010, and I met with him just after he retired in 2015, and. He said 90% of the 
of Australia's large companies are foreign-owned and since 1953 have paid little or no company tax. That means the burden for taxation in this country falls upon Australian companies paying company tax and individuals paying income tax. And that's wrong in my opinion. But not only is that wrong, we have these 90% of Australia's large companies coming in here, using our infrastructure, using the advantages of our education system, using the advantage of our resources and not paying any tax. And automatically they're at a 30% advantage over Australian companies, including small businesses. That is just not right. I totally agree because as far as I'm concerned too, and I believe that um, if you operate a business, no matter what size, you pay your fair share of tax. It's as simple as that. And uh, I I would actually like to, uh, like our very small traders, like sole traders, they can... um, uh, depending on how much they earn, if they're under 75000 a year, they can be GST exempt. That's a different story again. But I think established businesses need to pay their fair share of tax and they must abide by rules as all of us have to apply in this country. Correct. I agree. Um, let's wrap up a few things. Uh, so you have made it very clear uh, that we need a plan for exiting this COVID restrictions. COVID hasn't done the damage. It's government restrictions, particularly their capricious nature that's done the damage. There is no plan. We need a comprehensive plan. That's a topic for another day. Perhaps we could come back to with you on that, Anne. Um, we've put out a seven strategies for a comprehensive plan, and, and the Chief Medical Officer for the Federal Government and the Secretary of the Health Department has endorsed my seven, seven strategies. Um, but I'll just ask you one more ticklish question. And that is that in a democracy, it's the voters who are supposed to be in charge because the voters determine who goes into parliament. And I put it to you, this is not with your role, of, not with your hat of small business hat on, but I put it to you that government is in a mess in this country. Parliamentary accountability is a mess. You've already agreed with that. But the real responsibility is that voters are just voting for the same old way, the same old parties that their mums and dads voted for they're not really thinking about the character the strength of character of the of the candidate they're not thinking about thinking about the values of the candidate they're not thinking about the policies because the policies are pretty much the same at the at, at federal parliament between all the major parties instead they're just ticking a box and saying here's my vote in a in a in a democracy governments fear the people at the moment People here are fearing the government. And what we need to get back to is people paying a lot of attention when they vote and voting for the best candidate so that that way the politicians are held responsible, held accountable, and they start doing their damn job. I totally agree. But I'll tell you what, if anything, this pandemic may, I say may, change that. I hope it does. Because I think for the first time that a lot of Australians have seen the double standards, the hypocrisy, a whole range of factors out there. Uh, If this whole thing would have only lasted a very short while, I'd say no. But because it's dragging on now 18 months, a lot of these other things are becoming very obvious. And I think a lot of people are starting to... I mean, I hear things from people that I've never heard before in Australia and things such as... 
I don't recognise Australia anymore. Now, I never used to hear that years and years ago. Over all the years, I've never heard that. But I hear that on a regular basis. So more and more people are becoming a bit more vocal. Hopefully, that'll transcend into voting because I do urge people who may be listening to this, you need to ask your politician, regardless of how you vote, what is it that they will do for you in your community? What difference will they make to your life? And I think because we just, as you said rightfully, we just vote for whoever and then we grumble about it. So if we want real change, if we want our politicians to be accountable, we, the public, have a responsibility as well. Otherwise, don't complain about it. Because there's an old saying, and and we have got some good politicians, there's no two ways about it, but currently, the way the system is, we're all being treated like fools and mushrooms. And you know how they feed mushrooms, or how they grow mushrooms, Yep, keep them in the dark and feed them the stuff yes. that comes out of the yes. south end of a northbound bull. <laughs> right. Um, I want to say to everyone listening, let's support small business because they're Australia's biggest employer. They have enormous advantages to the economy. They, they are the major contributors to the Australian economy. They keep us going. So please support small businesses. Many small businesses have pivoted to online shopping, which has been a saviour. In spite of admirable small business resilience, tenacity, creativity and determination, the Queensland Chief Health Officer in August decided to wade into the retail sector with reckless advice against online shopping. Hers is an ill-conceived attempt to limit the movement of delivery workers to limit the spread of COVID virus. Australia needs to get back to work. Our communities need their social cohesion restored and families need certainty. I encourage, again, all Australians to support small, local businesses and help them recover. As Anne Nalder said, the business world needs clarity. We as customers can provide that clarity. Thank you for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today. Today.